Um, yeah, so I got some good news. I'm really, I'm, I'm actually in a pretty good mood this week. As I was just saying to you before, I hope producer Nick edits the pre- preface out. Uh, we had some kids at, come in today. So I spoke for like an hour and a half to them. And then I preached a daily mass, which is like, you know, me, about five minutes. Another hour um, and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have another hour and a half. So my voice and then confessions and phone calls. And my voice is like, I'm feeling it right now. It's like the voice is like, it's a lot of talking, man. <coughs> like right there. anyways but i'm also really happy because this weekend was the first time in seven months that i had people in my pews for mass yay and uh, it was really interesting on saturday um so saturday morning i woke up kind of doing my thing praying and everything i'm thinking about mass i'm like wait a second i'm actually gonna have people at church Actually, enough people at church, and I got kind of emotional. Yeah, I got kind of emotional, and then I and then the Saturday night we start mass, and I get out to the presider's chair because I haven't really been sitting in it much with live stream. I've been doing everything from the altar, and it was it was a little overwhelming to hear responses at the mass, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's interesting because it's true. Yes, the mass can be said privately by a priest on his own. And I have been doing that a lot this, these last seven months. And I'll be honest, there's been a few days where I didn't because it was just getting to be like, not that I don't like the mass or don't love the mass, but there is something about like when you're a secular priest, you're, you exist for the people. Mm-hmm. You exist for the people. There really is something about actually having, like it's all about this idea of like the sacramentality of the church, about having people there. It really is important. Yeah. It's vital. And it was just such a joy to see people. And everyone was just so happy to be back. And so many smiling faces and new faces who I hadn't met before. Some people were too sick or too compromised last year to, to risk it. But vaccinations are do- going so well up here right now that it was just like, it was just, I don't know. It was a joy. And I'm just elated because at the same time, we got the news that we were reopening right when uh, I was on studies Right when I was on studies, and I was just yeah. like, "Oh, great! This is gonna be uh, this will be fun." Um, and so I had to was put it, a lot. Was it was, it, it, didn't you find out like as we were recording, clerically speaking, or right after? Maybe I think it was right after. I think you got oh. the text right after. Yeah. Hey, hey, want to find out something else that was fun uh, while we were recording? Okay, what Last else time? Was Oh, right. You have to tell a story. It's so weird. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. This is good. This is actually a better story. Okay. Yes. Guess what? I'm really happy to have my people back. It's been yes. good. God is good. And I'm really happy. Anyways, um, so while we were recording, so I'm on the fourth floor of our cathedral while I'm away for school, doing Zoom classes, got the headphones in, we're recording, and I go down for dinner that night, and Father John says to me, so what do you think about what has happened at the, at the cathedral today? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because you, you haven't heard yet? I said, no. He goes, a guy forced his way to the office. He broke open the doors and was screaming at all the staff. And he had a makeshift weapon and he was trying to harm people. And like 12 police officers stormed the second floor of the cathedral, cornered him in one of the rooms and shot him with rubber bullets and pepper spray to, to, to bring him down. And I'm like, I didn't hear a thing because I was, I was so enamored and intoxicated by the dulcet tones of father anthony oh beautiful i don't know how if they were dulcet. I? I don't know if they were dulcet that episode 
<laughs> I was just so taken by his words of wisdom mm. and by the elegance of his speech. I tuned out everything else. Wow. But yes, there was like, it was on the news and everything that there was this massive break in to the cathedral. And I didn't know anything. And it was hilarious. And no I one mean, was hurt. No one was hurt. Sorry. Let me rephrase it. it the hilarity and the I sorry. Okay. I love it too. Someone breaks I love into it. my yes. church. Yeah. It's always yes. a good time. A real knee slapper. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase it. I'm really happy no one was hurt and nobody yes. was. And this is good. And you know, it was a little a little shaking for people, but uh it was also just very odd that I was just totally clueless to this yeah. entire event happening while I was upstairs recording. Yeah, we could hear construction outside, but we couldn't hear someone breaking into the church. <laughs> we couldn't hear rubber bullets being shot, you know? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hmm. Yeah. Have you ever had that happen before of like a break in like that or someone trying to force their entry into the church? Or into like uh, it, the I mean, offices it's or anything? At- it's happened at my churches, but never at like where at my place of residence or in the offices. Um, hmm. We've had different kinds of harassment before, but nothing, nothing major. But uh, I will say one thing. Uh, speak going back to mass, having people there. Like as a young seminarian, I thought one of the best things ever would be to say mass on my own, just me and the angels, and it'll be great and holy. Since becoming like an actual parish priest, like it's still mass is still good, but mass without people is super lame. I don't like it doing is. it without people. It's just not not near the same. Not at all. It's like I'm I'm glad that hermits can do it and right. and and they're fine like that. But I mean, I just I just can't. Yeah. I just can't. It's just not possible. I I'm not ordained to be a hermit, and I'm grateful that hermits can do that, and they're they're okay with that. I can't. And thankfully, this podcast is not like a monologue. It's not hermits. It's clerically speaking. Oof. I don't know. Nice try. Oh, I'm glad you horrible. made the effort, though. That was horrible. It was, was really, really bad. bad. That was but horrible. But you know what? I'm, I, I'm proud of you for making the effort because really you could have just not done anything. Um, so my big news is that I have received a new assignment from Bishop David A. Zubik. I will be leaving mm-hmm. the Newcastle area and uh, going to a parish, which is a combination of two churches down in Mount Lebanon, the South Hills of Pittsburgh. Uh, and so I got that news, actually the same week that we recorded last time, uh, announced it to my parish two weeks ago. And uh, now, we're, now we're, we're packing and moving and crying and meeting with people for the last time and getting excited about the new move and getting sad about leaving people and all of that stuff. Now the so- good news, oh good. I was going to ask you, is, I can't remember, is this your first parish since being ordained? No, I was in uh, uh, Butler, PA for two that's years. That's right, that's right, that's right. I, I, I forget these things. Because I, I don't really care, because I don't really care. That's I don't really fair, care. yeah. I mean, I'm just becoming another parochial vicar, which is basically not even a priest. So It's, um, yeah, a slave. Yeah, yeah, basically, just a, a sacramental slave. That's all I'm going to mm-hmm. do. Um, yeah. But in real life, the pastor at uh, this place is a uh, great guy. He's going to be very collaborative, which will be nice. Uh, it's a lot closer to family, friends. I'll be like a half hour, a little bit less away from producer Nick and producer Riley, nice. which will be nice, especially when they have their baby. I'll be able to hang out uh-huh. with the baby and be like, hey, I'm your uncle. Respect me. That's exactly what I'll be the first baby will, say to the baby. But then the baby will be like... <laughs> But your hair is the same length as my mom, so I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I think I think even a baby can tell the difference between me <laughs> and Riley Sharapa. 
Uh, it's funny. Like, I'm in actually a really silly space right now, but also I know my jokes just aren't going to land at all. <laughs> well, Harrison, that's that's what you're here for. It's 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 all part of the magic that makes the podcast. Um, yeah. how, how do you how do you feel about the move? I feel like I said it's a good assignment. Looking forward to it. Sad about leaving. Super anxious about actually packing up and moving. Like I get anxious about packing up for my day off. Like that, that gets anxiety. Like I get super anxious when it's time to move, like go somewhere for a vacation and packing. This I'm freaking out, Father Harrison. Um, but we're we're trying to take a piecemeal. I've I'm gonna donate a ton of my clothes. Every piece of clothing that I haven't worn in two and a half years, I feel like it's time to let go. Um, right. So how many cardigans do I get? Oh no, I'm keeping all of those. Um, oh. But this is the awkward thing about donating clothes. Like, even if you need clothes, how many, like, pro wrestling t-shirts are you really going to pick up, even if they're free? Like, are you really going to want a, a tank top that has uh, John Blevins uh, merchandise, you know, face on it? Like, it's still good. Probably not. It's pro- I mean, it's still a perfectly good piece of clothing. It's like it wearing weird. a hat with a guy whose name is, like, strong. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't. It's like it's like the same thing. It doesn't. Why why would anybody want that? No, I just I don't understand. Um, So, yeah. So this is it's happening. It's good. I'm trying not to freak out. And this is the tough thing about. I mean, we will talk about this a little bit later. But like my initial desire is to hide away for two weeks and not talk to anyone. But that's bad, not healthy. So I'm making sure I visit people and I go to lunch with people as much as I can in the next two weeks. So, so are you? Do you have anyone helping you pack? Uh, I don't have a lot of stuff, so I'm gonna basically pack most of my stuff. Yeah, pack up my books but and you, stuff. how do they? You know, you gotta have someone help you. You must have like thousands of books to pack because every priest does, right? No, no. Actually, some priests have a regular human beings amount of books. Um, what? So, Why? Like, no, no, no. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't compute. Yeah, I know it doesn't compute. But also, while my shelves are not completely full, you have completely empty shelves behind you. So now's not really the time. Everyone who's <laughs> watching the live stream can tell that you have no leg to stand on. Um, so I don't want to hear it. I'm moving offices right now. This is my new office that we're sure. slowly getting ready to sure. go. And, yeah. and so all my books are in the other office still. Yeah. Same thing with my books. My thousands Plus of books I have in my two other boxes. Office. I have two boxes of books in my car that I still have to actually bring back up because I brought them to Victoria with me to study with. Because when you travel, you always travel with a library. Well, Harrison, I'm worried about you because, like, you know, it's bad enough that you text and drive. But reading a book while driving is really, really unsafe. You know how some saints can bilocate? Uh huh. Some people can read and drive at the same time. I don't believe you. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, we can continue this conversation. Do you, do I actually? I got an idea. We're just gonna go okay. all ca- full cats and foxes here. We're just gonna talk about moving. We're just gonna continue talking about it. Wait, we're not gonna do a segment change. Well, like we could just talk about it. I mean, we could just talk about it, but also. This is an opportunity Nick. to force Nick to do another impromptu bumper at ten thirty at night. I say we leave it to his freedom. All right, uh, I'm going to quickly end the segment. Priest talking about moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think you're good oh, at no. bumpers, producer Nick? Make one out of that, huh? <laughs> Come up with a song about that. I dare you. I dare you. Priest talking about stuff. No, do it. I, I, we, you won't. So you won't do it. 
One more song about priests moving assignments. Told on this podcast to you. If bishops didn't transfer them, they would stay and pray the mass just for you. But they're so far away. Moving mountains of books and stuff. Get a U-Haul. Father Harrison is moving to Montreal. I I think that's where he is in Canada, but I don't know. Uh, so so far away. Uh, oh, that was tough. We got we got a question from a, a listener. I actually don't know who. Actually, I can't remember. Did Riley actually say who it was? Uh, I don't read Riley's texts. Okay. <laughs> well, we got we got a text. We got a we got uh, a question from a listener about this idea of priests moving, and I'm going to read the text because I think it's actually this is actually an important thing, and it, it's yeah. important to hear from the priest side, and I think it's important to give some advice to faithful because this is the time of year when priest moves happen, right? So yeah, it says true. this: got an email asking about how to handle pastor changes as a parish member. Thought it might be a good thing for. Anthony to talk about. No, so she talks to Anthony, not Father Anthony. To talk Ooh. about since he's moving soon. And Harrison, like, my gosh, man, does she not like priests? Wow. Uh, since he moves during COVID. Maybe right before? I don't totally remember. Sorry, LOL. And <laughs> almost dioceses are doing their summer shakeup. It's really hard thing for people and could use definitely use a pastoral approach. And also would be good to hear the fatherly heart priest perspective, I think, for people who are super attached get really disappointed. It's a good question. It's a good question because, yeah, so I got moved last summer. In the midst of a ten- pandemic, which, as you all know, sucks. <laughs> yeah, everything in pandemic sucks. It's the worst. Yeah, exactly. Everything about a pandemic sucks. So I just accept this. Um, and it came a bit as a surprise for me. Um, there were conversations about me moving here, but it kind of they had another priest come in, and that priest didn't last. And then it was just totally away from my mind. And then I got the call from the bishop saying I wanted to go here, and it was weird because it was it felt anticlimactic leaving the parish. Mm-hmm. because things were so regulated still last summer. And I mean, things were outside and, you know, masks weren't even really a thing last summer, actually, now that I think about it. And, um, and uh, we had 50 people in our churches and we couldn't have receptions. And so it was really hard to properly say goodbye to the people because we had some people like we, at the time we were trying to organize, like, everybody can go to one mass a week. So some people went to weekdays and like, so how do you say goodbye at all those masses? It's yeah, not, yeah. it's just not possible. Right. So it kind of sucked. And then you come into a parish where you can't really get to know your people. Cause you really shouldn't be going to people's houses. And it's like only now am I, is are things opening up enough that I could probably do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, so moving during a pandemic is not fun. Do not recommend. <laughs> do not <laughs> recommend. That's the thing. It doesn't matter how much you recommend and recommend anything because we did this thing where we took our hands like this, mm-hmm. gave them to the bishop. He went like this. That's and right. we promised respect and obedience to him and his successors. Um, first, I want to say something. I'm going to drop the clericalist shtick for a second and just say that I one of the nice things about being a priest is that I don't have to deal with the thing that every lay person has to deal with who goes to a parish. Whereas you're just stuck with the priest you get. Like, you don't get a say in it. You don't get a choice. You have to deal with this new person. 
You might like this new person. You might dislike this new person. Maybe you have several priests at your church, and maybe that's nice. Maybe you have one, and you hate his face, but that's where you need to go to get the sacraments. That is a major, major sacrifice. And I just think of, like, the different priests that have been at my parish. And not to say anything negative about them, but we're all wildly different people. Wildly. Um, and so that can be kind of <laughs> whiplash. Because on one hand, you are... You know, the moving of priests is a regular part of parish life. But on the other hand, like, you want your priest to be father. You want to build a relationship with him. You know, uh, there are people... It's almost it's almost like the podcasting dynamic, where we have this community of listeners, and they feel like they know us, and in a lot of ways they do, and there's an attachment there. That can be something similar that happens in the priesthood, in the sense that even if you haven't had a meeting with father, you know, you've gone to mass, maybe he's heard your confession, and you... Uh, you know, grow in relationship with the pastor, you know, even if it's not as direct as we would like it to be, right? And so that's that's a very difficult thing. Um, I will say one of the nice, the bittersweet things about this move is that everyone is telling me how sad they are that I'm leaving. And that's nice because they're not telling me how glad they are that I'm leaving, right? So, like, it's one of those difficult things. Like, if you are, if you have a, a priest who's a good priest, um, that's nice, but it's going to be harder when they leave. Um, I mean, there might be a few people cheering. They're like, who's that hippie priest with the long hair? We don't like him. And in that case, you know, good for them. Uh, but that's just a very difficult dynamic. So I want to acknowledge that first. Yeah. And so I think it's important to understand, like, how are priests assigned? Like, how does this go through with this? Like, does this the bishop just kind of pick up the phone and say, hey, you're moving? No, it doesn't actually quite work that way. Most dioceses, what happens is they look at the needs of the diocese. So you have to remember too, like a, a priest is not ordained for a parish. He's ordained for a bishop, mm-hmm. right? Ordained for a diocese. And so a priest exists for the good of the diocese as the bishop sees fit. And it's a little different between associates, like parochial vicars, you know, the little people, as pastors like to call them, um, and the great king. Yes, the mighty emperor, the pastor. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so parochial vicars can get moved at the drop of a hat and yes. sometimes do because the needs yes. change, whatever. There is no – and often terms aren't even like necessarily given. It's just your parochial vicar because there's really no canonical term limits or anything like that for you. However, pastors, it is actually a little different. Pastors are actually meant – it's interesting. I think this is why it gets hard for some people because it actually used to be quite normal when there were more priests. When you're a pastor of a place, you were a pastor there sometimes, maybe for the rest of your priesthood. Yeah. And you weren't named a pastor till you're like in your 40s or early 50s. Like, and then that was your parish for the rest of your life mm-hmm. or at least until the rest of your priesthood. Not all the time, not all, all, all the places, but that was pretty normal because you had yeah. so many priests. It was only a select few that even ever became pastors. Like – now it's the, it's the complete opposite. Now it's like you have a pulse. You're going to be a pastor one day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. it's pretty much a given in most in my diocese. It is at least. It's like yeah, yeah. you've been you've been ordained for two years. All right, you're going to be named a pastor. So you have that going on. And and so when you're named a pastor, canon law actually stipulates that it is actually something kind of permanent ish. But there's always a but. This is the beautiful thing about law is that there's always a way out. So a, pers- a bishop <laughs> can appoint a pastor pro tem. That means for a period of time. 
which is what our diocese does with every pastor, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> which gives the bishop the freedom to move as he fits. So I'll give you an example. So my last parish, I was appointed pastor for six years. Or, but then there was the little caveat in the letter, or as the needs of the diocese see fit. Mm-hmm. Well, the di- needs of the diocese saw fit. Now, I, I, I like my bishop, I got to give him a lot of credit. It's a lot of conversation happens. And like, yeah. he doesn't, he, if I like, and as it's something you learn as you grow in your priesthood, sometimes it's okay to say no, not because, or at least let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase this. Um, that you can resist and give some counter arguments why you think it may not be a good idea for you to move. Mm-hmm. And listen, I just knowing how dioceses work and how some priests are, some priests I know have said no before to moves. Yep. They have said no. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> I, but like, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I said to my bishop, like, I'm open to this, but let me pray about it. Cause I want to make sure, cause I was actually kind of excited about this idea. I liked this. Yeah. I thought it would be a good fit for me, this parish, et cetera. And I loved my last parish, but I just thought this was the right place for me at the time. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure I was saying yes for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I always have always, and for me, I've always had this thing that saying yes to my bishop is my guarantee that I'm living out my vocation. Right. But you want to make sure that there's not selfish things going on or whatever like that. So I, well, I really, yeah. if, you, if you think about it, you know, if a bishop is trying to take care of his diocese and he's a good leader, um, you know, he, he wants to hear from his priests who are on the ground who might not, because this is something that I, I've, um, the process of me being moved was a long process. I had a lot of conversations. Um, and one of the priests in the diocese told me that, you know, sometimes what's happening downtown they don't realize what's happening like all the way out in newcastle pa like Mm -hmm. uh they haven't talked to all of uh the right people uh so a lot of times they just don't know exactly what's going on so if a priest can say hey i think this is a bad idea for these reasons uh that's good information for the bishop i think most bishops want that information um and you know sometimes yeah Go ahead. I was going to say, I, th- I find most bishops when it comes to stuff are actually quite consultative. So you have to also recognize, too, every bishop has a personnel committee when they're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is not just – they're saying they're saying who's the right person for the right job at this time. So it's not out of a vacuum. And so those are all things that you need to recognize. Like a bit, and, and bishops recognize that it's going to be hard, when, especially when a priest who's deeply loved, especially when they're pastors, they've been there for a long time. Yeah. Or a new guy comes and it's not the person they wanted or they don't get along with or whatever. They don't like his styles or whatever. It's part of life. You know, you don't choose family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You don't choose mm-hmm. family. So how have you been, like, how do I want to put this? How do you deal with this spiritually? Like, because change is not easy. Right. Right. Um, so a little bit of disclosure. Um, I began, you know, coming from my spiritual director and uh, coming from my pretty small group, more and more people were telling me, like close trusted people who know my life pretty well, were telling me, Anthony, it's time to move uh, for various reasons. Um, and so that was something that I had to take to prayer as well. So I was the one who actually called up the bishop and started having conversations with him about it. Uh, so this didn't come as an unexpected move. Uh, close listeners to the podcast have no, maybe realized now I've been dropping hints. Um, part of the reason why we're doing our reduced schedule, because I knew a move was probably in the works uh, this summer. So uh, I've been able to kind of prepare for that on some level. Um, and I know it's the right thing for me. Uh, at the same time, and this is why this stuff is so complicated. Um, you know, we had a big staff meeting 
I announced the moves to the staff, and I got really choked up. Like, I couldn't say anything. And normally I'm very good at talking, uh, but I, I wasn't in that moment, you know? Sure. Um, and the same thing with the uh, saying mass the last few times and realizing, you know, there's only a few more masses I'll say for these people. It's, it is heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's part of the difficult uh, uh, life of the priest. Uh, so the thing I'm struggling with right now is actually being excited for my new move. Because I know it's a good move. I know it's the right thing. Um, but it's hard to get excited when you're saying all of the goodbyes and people are sending you nice emails and you are, you know, visiting people for the last time. And so that's kind of where I'm stuck at. So that's kind of what I'm bringing to prayer mm -hmm. um, and trying to come to peace with and trying to leave well, like not hide away, um, not check out, uh, do the things I need to do. And at the same time, taking a step back from stuff. You know, there are yeah. certain meetings where I'm kind of useless in those meetings right now, you know, plans for the future. I mean, I can give input, but it's not my future anymore. Um, right. so doing that, uh, you know, the awkward thing of calling up uh, brides and saying, hey, I'm not going to do your wedding anymore because this new parish has a ton of weddings and I need to, you know, take over those now. Um, so all that is, is very difficult. Uh, so that's been like the focus of my prayers. So there's two things for me. I want to, it, it's oh, for me, like it was funny. So I was an assistant in our cathedral for two and a half years. Actually I'd asked to stay for three years. It, we, the bishop initially said yes, but then things changed. So I was made pastor in Port Alberni. And it was, it was a similar thing. So people were like, are you excited? And it's like, it was hard. Like I, I didn't know how to answer that question. Yeah. Cause I didn't know what I was going into. <laughs> yeah. I really didn't. Right. There were some things I was kind of excited for. There is a certain freedom of being pastor in a way like father Anthony was texting a group chat of ours the other day saying how he's going to need more black blood of the earth because he has 7 a.m. Masses at the new yep. parish. And I'm like, I changed the time to nine 30 here for Wednesday to Friday. Cause the <laughs> pastor can, you know, and, and also we're a largely retired area. So like most working people wouldn't come anyways. Yeah. And we have a Tuesday night mass for working people type of thing. So it's not the end of the world. Right. But I was right. like, you what? I, I we did have it at nine actually. And we actually wanted it at nine 30 for a few other reasons. But I was like, but I was just kind of joking, like pastor can do what he wants, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I say that with, with a joking attitude because a pastor, a good pastor will not just do things just because he wants to, right. but will often do it in consultation and talk to people. Right. So I'm not going to do things out of the blue like that. Um, but, and so like you are kind of looking forward to that. It's like growing up, like you're like, I'm making a step forward in my life as a priest. And it's always interesting though. Cause like, um, it's interesting for me as a priest in a smaller diocese hearing from guys like from like Anthony and from other dioceses where a lot of priests don't even get parish ministry. They get different stuff. And I'm like, you can ask for that stuff. Because mm -hmm. it's just like in my diocese, there's just one thing you do. It's look after parishes because we're yeah. just so desperate for priests here, right? So and it was – but at the same time, it was also really sad for me because like for me, the cathedral is my home parish. Mm. So for me, it was kind of a coming of full circle when I was leaving there, mm. right? It was, it, was, it, was, it was the end of an era for me because I knew so many people there from even before seminary. Like I was – it was where I was ordained and it's where I worked before I went to seminary and it was where my conversion happened. And actually, you know, this, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast. So as I've shared before my, with my conversion, uh, after my prayer experience, I picked the first thing I did was pick up a Bible and read after that. And the first thing I fell on was first Samuel three, the call of Samuel. Do you know what the first reading was on that Sunday mass? My last Sunday. Was it the, the same reading? It was the same reading. Wow. Yeah. Which was really, 
a gift from God, really. It really was. Because it, it really was like God's way of saying, okay, this time of your life has come to an end. And it's time to to grow up more and stuff like that. And and so and you're also like when you're an associate becoming a pastor, you're like a deer in headlights. Because now suddenly everything falls on you. And you yeah. listen, I always say to guys like Anthony, be a parochial vicar as long as you can. Enjoy it. <laughs> because you don't have the you don't have all the responsibility of the pastor. You don't have to worry about budgets. You don't have to worry about personnel issues all the time. You don't have to worry about balancing the budget for the year. You don't have to worry about different building projects and needs and, and all this stuff. You don't need all you don't have to worry about this stuff. Um and there's something freeing to that. So you don't know, but you don't really realize that. And the first year is a real learning curve. And you just kind of like, I don't know what's going on. And, and I really felt like in my first parish, I was kind of treading water the entire time because there's no training manual for this either. It's just go do. Coming here was a little bit easier. But at the same time, again, moving was really actually weird and hard for me. It took me a while to be okay being here because in Nanaimo, not because I didn't like Nanaimo, actually, I'm very, very happy here. I, I love being in a city. But leaving the parish just felt so anticlimactic. Yeah, that's weird. Right? That's a weird situation. When I left, when I left the cathedral, like there was a nice big reception and you know lots of stuff. And I'm not not that I'm looking for the fanfare per se, but no, it was hard because like no one really could go out of their way to do something to say goodbye. You know, because we couldn't really do it. We we did yeah. we did have a gathering outside at, at one on the Sunday before I left, and I invited people to drop by, and a bunch of people did. But that was like it was kind of so so, and and no, and again, I'm not. I'm not bitter or angry, but no one took the initiative to do something like that. And I don't think anybody could have because we shouldn't have been gathering inside in large numbers anyways. So it, it was just like it was what COVID kind of forced upon us. And it just felt weird leaving. Mm-hmm. It felt weird leaving. Yeah. And that's the tough. I mean, that's the, it shows you the importance of saying goodbye. Well, yeah, um, you know, uh, I, you know, uh, in my family, I got my dad's side of the family, which is the Italian side of the family. And my mom's side of the family, which is Irish, you know, and I love my mother dearly, but, you know, no, no family's perfect is what I'm trying to say. Uh, and the ways that uh, these two people, uh, two sides of the family say goodbye, very different. When I was at my dad's side of the family for some family reunion or something, it's like, all right, we're leaving. So I knew that meant we'd be leaving about an hour and a half because you have to do hugs and kisses to everybody in the family. Whereas uh, my mom was like, well, but we're leaving. It's time to go now. Like, we're just going to go. Right. I think there's something to be said, as in all things, mm. the Italian way of doing things, uh, mm-hmm. of taking the time to say goodbye, uh, to mourn, to reflect um, on, you know, just the past, however long you've been there. Uh, that is one of those difficult things, but doing it in that moment saves you from regrets later and allows you to actually move on. Speaking of moving on, I want to move on to talking about same topic, don't worry, um, yeah. about advice to the people well, the, of god <laughs> you you read my mind because this is yes. where i was going to go next and i think because yeah how do you how to deal with it on your end and i think there's a couple uh, i'll give if i'll give a couple tips and i'll if that's okay then I write can. letters to the bishop tell him not to take your priest tell him what don't a bad that. bishop he is no yeah Please don't do that. kick it outside no. the diocese no, no. yeah no. stop giving no. money to your church that's what you should do that will fix everything you should uh, have a large social media campaign. Um, when the new guy comes, you should ignore him. You should boo his homilies. This is Power to the people. 
This is You're what happens. Bishop who really Father, owns the church. It's this is what so happens what? when Father Anthony has too much black blood of the earth. I did have some before the podcast. <laughs> just so everything that Father Anthony just said, do the opposite. <laughs> Let me. Okay, so a few things. One is accept the decision of your bishop because ninety nine percent of the time, a most bishops are working for the good of their local diocese. And they're doing it for the good of the church. And it hurts for you that, might, that you might be losing someone. And this is where I want to give a suggestion that I don't think is actually quite common and I think is actually a good thing to do. Bishops always get – you can write letters to your bishop, but bishops always get angry letters. They never get <laughs> grateful or th- letters of thanksgiving or how a priest has touched their life in a positive way. Mm-hmm. If you're sad that your priest is moving – don't write – you can express your sadness to the bishop, but just say, I'm sad because this priest did so many good things, and I'm grateful that you let him have some time in our parish. Yeah. And recognize and accept in obedience kind of what we do. You know, We go through a lot of similar emotions you guys do. I, re- I was literally in tears, especially the last day of the cathedral, because of all of that stuff, right? Yeah. We're all, we all go through that. It's hard. It's, 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 it's emotional. It's all that stuff. So write letters of gratitude to the bishop because, A, that goes in our files, so that looks good for us. Yeah, exactly. But, Everything uh, but you also, write to the bishop about the bishop us goes, goes in our permanent file. Parcel file forever. Yeah. Forever. For all of history. For all of history. But it also – listen, bishops get so much junk and mm-hmm. so much bad stuff We to support bishops in – because here's the thing. When imagine if a bishop got a bunch of nice letters saying thank you for this priest. Think about the next time he has to think about moving a priest to your parish. He's going to remember how grateful you guys were, and he's going to take that into account in his decision making. So there's a lot like write good things to your bishops, please, because they need it, and it'll just build them up. Um, secondly, I think it's important to find some ways to show gratitude to the priest. Because not that I'm saying we're looking for all that stuff. I'm not even saying gifts, but like letters or, or cards. Okay, fine. Crown Royal, really? Yeah. See, great. I would, I, would, I would ask for people to ship me alcohol in Canada, but um, we can't ship alcohol in Canada. Yeah, because you're communist. Yeah, I know. So, but I think, uh, listen, not that we look out for gifts and we look for thanks all the time, but the parish is our family. And, it's our, and the church is our spouse. We give as we can, but I think it's also good to give back, especially to show again to this priest that he did something good there. Yeah. So one of the really nice things is that people have been sending me letters and emails with mm-hmm. stories about how I in some way touched their lives. Um, and it's been really nice because like, I mean, as a priest, you're, you're constantly running around doing anointings, funerals, first communions. And it's been really nice to get these letters and emails from people saying, like, telling me their perspective of those stories and how it touched mm-hmm. them. And it's like, it's been really, really nice. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> the other day we had our last school mass. And this was another big transition because our school's closing. Mm-hmm. And the school's been, you know, uh, open in one way or another for like a hundred and some years. Wow. Uh, and we had our final mass and everything. But one, one of the little kids, I was getting ready putting the book on the altar and everything. My pastor was saying the mass bells, making sure there's enough chairs and everything like a good parochial vicar should. Um, and this little kid runs up onto the altar and I know his family a little bit. And he has this uh, yellow piece of paper, paper they stapled together 
and it just had a signature of some of the other students and it said i love you father anthony he gave it to me and yeah. uh, one of my friends who's a teacher saw it and said that was not a, a school project you can tell that was a <laughs> a homegrown initiative and it was just like, which is really, beautiful yeah it's really really nice um so yeah. that stuff you know um means a lot because a lot of yeah. times you don't get to see the fruit of your works um and it's been nice to see that like I've been a pretty good priest, I guess. Um, yeah. And that's that's really touching. Um, because I, trust I me, priests always ask, am I a good priest? Am I, really am I a doing a good priest? job? I'm such a sinner. I'm so horrible. <laughs> Why? Yeah. You know, these yeah. people are so patient with me, blah, blah, blah. Um, but here's the other thing. So then how do you deal with it internally? I think this is the last mm. thing we got because mm -hmm. I think this is a really important one. So we talked about supporting the bishop, supporting the priest, but then how can you be supported? First, I think pastors work really hard to try and support their people in transition, and they're going to speak up the next guy up to the nth degree because they really want uh, they really want to do that. But it's I think actually doing some of those things, like especially if you love the priest and you really found him helpful, I find if you do write a letter like that, it'll help you process mm -hmm. the grief that comes with it. Cause uh, yeah, I think that grief is actually a good word. Cause it, I, I always, I, I use this in every funeral homily and it almost becomes cliche for the people who hear me do funeral homilies a lot, but I think it's really yeah. important. I always say grief is really important because it's a sign that we have loved and been loved. Yes. It's actually a positive thing. Right. And I think that's the case here too. You are grieving and the priest is grieving. You're grieving together. So the bet process that grief you can write a letter, pray to God, and just but then also like recognize that the next guy is not going to be this priest. Mm -hmm. He's going to be different, mm -hmm. but he is a gift of God to you still. Mm -hmm. And if we receive everything as a gift first, whichever priest we have, and yes, some priests are going to be better than others, and some priests are going to jive with us better than others. But they bring us the sacraments, they attempt to give their life to the church, and they are a gift. Just as our people who can be the source of our frustrations and pulling our hair out sometimes or can be a source of consolation, et cetera, all those things are a gift to me. And I always have to remind myself of that too, that when people are moved away that I wish they didn't have to move or whatever, they're a gift to me. And those new people are a gift to me, right? And so if you yeah. see everything as a gift, it starts to change your perspective a bit when a new priest comes in. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, and this is what I've been kind of, uh, I've been trying to, aim my preaching at getting people ready for the transition as well because uh, that's important in the life of you know a parish um it's not helpful to try to figure out why a priest is moving um for multiple reasons uh you don't know what's going on in that priest's life what's going on in the diocese uh a diocese even one as small as father harrison's can be immensely complicated um there can be multiple, multiple reasons sometimes to be honest you just need bodies in certain places you know, mm -hmm. and like a priest can feel a little bit like a cog in a machine sometimes, but that's also sometimes the harsh reality that like this parish needs this priest, you know? Yeah. And uh, to try to see, and even like, let's also be honest, maybe the move is a bad move, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the, the, the moving of a priest was the wrong decision. Even if that's the case, we have to strive to see everything as it actually is, as under God's providence. Um, that one, if it's a bad move, God can bring good things even out of that, that mm -hmm. God is ultimately in control of everything. And also... God is in control. God is in control. Uh, and also to keep in mind, and this is a good reminder, the parish doesn't belong to the priest. And the parish can't be built on a priest, even a very holy one. 
uh, a parish has to be focused on Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, I'll offer this, this final reflection. One thing I'm, I'm very grateful for, for my uh, assignment here, two and a half years. You know, my first two years as a priest were very difficult. I was trying to figure out who I was. What does it mean to actually be a priest, to move from seminary to priesthood? And this assignment, I was much more comfortable with myself. And it allowed me to really fall in love with the people of God. And I keep thinking about something I think Fulton Sheen wrote, probably in, in A Priest Is Not His Own, that when the priest says the words of institution, he's using Christ's words. He's speaking in the person of Christ. This is my body. This is my blood given for you. But on a personal level, the priest has to make those words his own because his body is given for the church. He doesn't belong to anyone else. And a priest has to make those words his own when he says the mass. And that has to be words he lives out throughout his priesthood. And yeah, like Father Harrison said, like it is a sacrifice. Sometimes it's very difficult, but man, it's so worth it. That's the one thing that I keep thinking. I'm so, so grateful because this has been a tough two and a half years for everybody uh, in the Diocese of Pittsburgh with moves and changes and then COVID. It's been a lot of mourning, a lot of frustration. People have felt that. Priests have felt that. And but even that I'm, I'm seeing as a blessing because despite all of that, I'm so grateful for being a priest and having this vocation that it's been like, okay, if I love being a priest, even under these crazy circumstances, I think that means mm -hmm. I actually really love being a priest. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a gift in that weird sort of way that only God does. Um, and so it's, it, it's tough. Cause like as a priest, you have to give your heart to these people completely knowing that you're going to have to give it to other people and their assignments. And you have to allow your heart to be broken and put back together and to live out uh, and to grow in yourself or have God's grace grow in yourself, uh, your heart to uh, mirror the sacred heart of Jesus, who didn't hold anything back from his people, but also had to move around a lot too and leave and come back, you know, in the death and resurrection. And so something about the move of a, a parish priest, it's something very important, I think, to diocesan priestly spirituality. There's something about that that I think is important for the holiness of the people in the parish and the holiness of the priest. I'm making an executive decision that the, we're just going to continue talking about this because um, I think it's actually hey, good. It's um, your week. It's my week. I was going to talk about mediation, but so, okay. Quick little tease, yeah. a quick little tease for next month because it's the whole month right now. Yeah. Um, I got teary-eyed and giddy today. <laughs> You're such a nerd and I love it so much. <laughs> I am such a nerd. So those who have paid close attention to this podcast know that I have been harping on the problem of mediation for some time mm -hmm. in philosophy and theology, right? I think it's a big problem and it's what actually harkens to one of our early episodes on modernism, one of my favorite episodes actually. And, um, um, and, I, and this is where I am actually concentrating my first chapter of my thesis around is this problem. And it's been exploding my brain because nobody talks about it. And I'm like, am I the only one out here talking about this problem? I can't believe it. And then Daniel Drain, a PhD student at the JP2 Institute, tweeted at me today, Father Harrison, exclamation mark, with a link. And it's the new edition of Communio, which is a great journal. Everybody should subscribe. They do four a year. Guess what the entire new one is? Well, you know. So I'm not going to say yes, but... <laughs> It's all on mediation. It's yeah. and I was just like, I'm, my mind is exploding right now. So I'm, I've been reading Schindler's article today, already on the question, and I literally started like tearing up. 
I know this sounds weird reading an academic article, not because of what he was saying per se, but it was confirming everything I've been saying about this. And yeah. he's been framing and he's framing the question exactly how I've been trying to frame it. And and he's saying some things, but he's also not saying some things, which is good. It gives me some room to be original still. It's just like you know, scooping. <laughs> he, yeah, he's not scooping the story from me. Uh, but it was just one of those moments of like, like I was literally doing this in the in the office, like dancing and getting excited and giddy, <laughs> because for once, finally, everything I've been researching is not for naught. Right? Yeah. Very smart people see the same problem as I've seen, and I'm really happy. And that was going to be my topic today. However, that's a little tease. That will hopefully be the one next month. And then I'll actually have more time to to, to get it in. Because I was going. To, this is what I've been doing for the last couple weeks of school. However, it's my week. So I think this is good. Because I want to talk about, we talked about there about sacrifice. And in a way, I actually kind of talk, it does like dovetail with mediation. But, hmm. but sacrifice is not masochistic, right? Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be, right? It's not this, I want to willingly hurt myself so that another may live. That's not quite what it means. No. Right? Sacrifice, in the Christian sense, is the self-offering of love. It's a loving self-offering. So, yes, it involves pain, but pain is not the reason we do it. Love is. And so, yes, there is a suffering involved. Like, so in a way, a move of a priest, it feels a bit like a divorce sometimes almost because the marriage is falling apart, if you will. I mean, and there's – because we do talk about the priest is married to the church and all this stuff. Not the church, local church, the the church, the universal church. But, um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it is a cross. It's an offering of love. And that suffering – that we're losing something good can be used for good for the future of the church, for the good of the parish, so that it helps us remind us to not lose what was good from beforehand, from what this priest or those parishioners, you know, it's not just the priests, it's also parishioners, what those two did for each other, how they formed things, right? Like uh, for myself, I'm very grateful for my last parish. Because I learned a lot about what it means to be a pastor by making a lot of mistakes and their patient love through it all, dealing <laughs> yeah. with me, right? Dealing with yeah. me is a big deal. Um, so, but then going with they coming here already, I've learned so much from that that that's a gift. And so the hardness of like even the weirdness of leaving at a weird time like that and everything is a gift, right? It's that it's that great video by Stephen Colbert that always goes around with Cooper Anderson's interviewing him. And he goes, you've said, you've said that you're, you, you see your suffering as a gift. He goes, what punishments of God cannot, are not gifts, right? Cause the whole idea is the existence is a gift, blah, blah, blah. And that's true though. That's true for a parish. If we're really going to preach the cross, then instead of running away from it, see it as the gift of love that it is. It is, we don't want it, but it comes our way. It's a gift of love. And that's something a priest hopefully will train his parish in. And his parish will train the priest in so we can learn this mutual love. This is the life and role and purpose of the relationship between priest and laity. We have different roles, different purposes. But it's meant to be a mutuality of love. And I think that needs – I mean I'm, I'm getting big on this stuff because I think that's supposed to be the heart of parish life. It's supposed yeah. to be this communion of love. Like you know, I think actually family is an apt analogy. That's why I said earlier don't choose family. 
It's a gift. Family's a gift. It's not choice, <laughs> right? Um, you don't choose what kind of kids you get. You get the kids you get. You don't choose the parents you want. You get the parents you get. It's all gift. Mm -hmm. It's all gift. And so our parish is a gift. Our, our, our life as priests is a gift. Our, our relationship with our parishioners is a gift. Even when it sucks, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because God and Christ is working through us. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just quick uh, pastoral brain kicked in. Um, you know, there are people who have families that yes. definitely don't experience I, this gift, right? You know, you know, I, know, I, I, know. Wanna... I was, I'm not, I'm not ignoring that, that thing for sure. I know. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. So just want to throw that out there, but yeah, exactly. And also, you know, um, even if our families of origin uh, aren't what they should have been, I think you, God often gives us, um, I don't want to say families of choice or whatever, but friends who have become family and families who have adopted us into them, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is, I mean, so one of the big things um, going, a running theme when I was in seminary, and it was a running theme in the uh, IPF, Institute of Priestly Formation, um, that since Vatican II, there's been kind of a crisis in what is diocesan spirituality. Are you familiar with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, IPF had a really good framework of the priest is um, beloved son, is shepherd, is father, something. It was good. Uh, but a spiritual director at my uh, seminary said the priest experiences his spirituality through the people. I didn't get that at the time. Like he experiences mm. the ontological effect through his people. And it's something that I, I, I didn't understand, you know, because uh, that's the weird thing about ontological effect. You don't feel anything. You don't start glowing. You don't fly away. Um, you get ordained and you're to all perceptible interior, like you are the same person. But we know that something different has changed. And you begin to see that revealed or maybe even mediated uh, through your um, giving of your life to these people. And that's something that, you know, I began to experience in my first assignment. Like I said, I had some issues to work through, and I've been more free to experience that through this assignment. Um, and it makes much more sense to me that, because um, the thing is, I'm actually a very introverted person. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, I may seem loud and boisterous on the, uh, on the podcast, because there's a part of me that likes performing, you know, um, that's just a, a thing I like to do. Um, but my default is to kind of hide away from people or only small groups. And the fact that I love being a priest and love being with the people is proof that this is a grace that God gives. God actually helps mm -hmm. you to love the people more. You begin to more and more experience God's love for these people. You see them more and more through his eyes. Um, you enjoy sacrificing yourself for them as a father. Um, like I said, we're not perfect. There are many times I've messed up. Um, for example, the last uh, the last school mass, I had to wake up really early because it was my day off and drive to the parish because I wanted to be there because I knew that was the right thing to do, right? Last school mass, even though I wasn't celebrating. I get to the sacristy and there's a bunch of kids and they're all talking and goofing off and stuff. And it was all good. But like my, my brain was like, why is everyone making so much noise? Go away. <laughs> so I had to like fight with that interior sort of thing and enter mm -hmm. into the fact that 
this is beautiful. Like we're celebrating the fact that so many people have been touched by the school for so long that these kids are just being kids. And there's something wonderful about that, uh, that they get to serve the last mass of the school. And so it took a moment of prayer to you know, enter into that. So that's, that's, that's the, um, uh, what, um, Fulton Sheen talks about the, the, uh, Peter nature and the Simon nature of a priest, um, hmm. which maybe we should do a podcast on that. That was really good. Ooh, that'd be cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's what is beautiful about the priesthood for me now isn't all the lace and fancy stuff, which I very much enjoy and like. I like getting nice and dressed up for mass. It the tradening. The tradening. I'm all for the tradening. Um, it isn't the respect or whatever you get as father. It isn't any of that stuff, which as a younger person, that would have been more appealing. It's the fact that I get to be a part of these people's lives. Um, and that's where I experience priestly spirituality. Yeah. So a few things with what you were just saying there, and I think it's really important to reflect on is, is, is something I'm, so the reason the problem of mediation is such a big thing for me is it forces us, you see, we have in the church, et cetera, we have not, um, we have not, we have ceased seeing what is in front of us as the really real and the place where God, the, the stuff, if you will, that God uses to make himself present to us. Right. Uh, but in fact, that is exactly what works. That's why I was talking about the parish as family. Yeah. Right. Because what happens in a family? Well, do siblings get along all the time? No. Do parents get along with their kids? Heck no. Do parents do the right thing? No. Do parents get feel guilty because they didn't do the right thing all the time and, and maybe screwed up sometimes as a parent? Yep. Um, all those emotions and feelings and frustrations and sufferings of family life are meant to be the same as a parish. I actually heard you quoted in another podcast, The Crunch, <clears throat> um, about, um, you know, Christians want a community, but they don't, right? Can you, you probably say it better. You'll say it better. Uh, I'll just say, like, when a lot of uh, Catholics, especially young Catholics, think of community, yeah. they think of hanging out with all their friends. And that's yeah. not what community is. Community is right. being stuck in this family and truly being stuck together. Exactly. And through the yeah, experience yeah. of people you love and and have difficulty loving, that's the iron sharpening iron that brings us to holiness. Right. So, and this is the thing. And so, what unfortunately part of the problem is. So, this is a little hint towards next month. But part of the problem is community got emphasized without its transcendence. Right. It, yes. It lost its mediating form. It was. For its own sake, I go to, I need the community. Why? Well, not because through the community, I am molded and formed in love by God. It was because this is what community, I, it was very horizontal. It lost its sacramentality, right? This is the whole point of this is community sacramental. But for priests then and for the parish, et cetera, it's like, this is why you like to use the idea of a family is because this is the place where, like you said, we're molded. We rub up against each other. We we, we enter into loggerheads at some times. One of the things I have to remind myself of constantly is when, especially if a parishioner does something that really angers me or frustrates me and sometimes very legitimately, like yeah. this is like, I'm sometimes I'll be Frank. Sometimes parishioners are jerks. <laughs> that is true. I'm uh, sorry. This I, is true. This is true. This is just a fact. I'm not a, saying a, all, I'm not saying all, but no, I'm saying no, no, some no. can be a jerk. Yes. For example, I'll, I'll just give a quick example. Uh, and this happened to our wonderful permanent deacon, who is one of the holiest and best people I know. I'm a huge fan of him. And, uh, you know, a lady straight up called him a Nazi to his face. Um, so you do get 
crazy people who yeah. really try to hurt you with their words. Um, yeah, that is that is a small number of parishioners, but they kind of stick out. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying this is actually not usually the majority, and it's funny. No, even no. myself, when you're doing stuff like trying to reopen your churches, you're going to get complaints, and I try to I always try to remind myself the complaints are actually quite usually in the minority. Right. Yes. Actually, I said this to my parish. I said, listen, some of the complaints were even a little bit justified. Yeah. But I said, the problem is we made this decision to do what we're doing for our scheduling. And it's too late to change it. Was it done perfectly? Nope. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm asking you to be okay with that too, because that's what it means to be part of a family. Yeah. That we can live with each other's weaknesses. And each other, that we can encourage each other in our strengths, that we can help purify each other in our weaknesses, and that we can abide each other with each other in that. And that's the, and I think for me, like, this is why this year was actually quite revelatory for me, because as much, um, as much as I love academic stuff, and I, and honestly, the idea of teaching one day does intrigue me. But the last seven months of not having people in the church and just these last few days made me, that mediated something to me. That made something present to me through an absence. Um, And it made me realize that I need the people. Uh I need the people of the church Uh to be a good priest. I'm more already this week. I'm more motivated to do a crap load more of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think part of it's just extroverts got to extrovert, right? <laughs> um, um, I have more energy because I'm around people more often. I'm doing more appointments again and stuff like this. Um, but but um, but it's a the whole point of the priesthood and the people is that we're there to mediate God's presence in unique ways. The priest, I mean, his very role is mediator. <laughs> And I need to be like, when we were reopening, I shared my plan with Father John, who's our vicar general, and he really challenged me. And it was too late to make a change. He goes, "You need, you should be doing this." I'm like, "I hear you. I actually kind of agree with you, but it's a little, it's a little too late. Like it was just too late." And he kind of was fine with it, but I appreciate that. I needed that because yeah. what will happen is if you really exist as a family, out of love, that just as a child can rip a parent's heart apart to love more yeah. by saying something quite innocently. Mm-hmm. So our people can draw us to love more and it's our job to draw them to love more. Right. It, this, it, it's a, it's a motivation to Christian love. This is the whole point. We're to motivate each other to Christian love. And that exists concretely in the life of the church and the parish. And I actually, I mean, I am going to be so bold as to say, I actually think the parish in its current forms is actually one of the most important elements in the life of the church today for evangelization. <laughs> I'm but, thinking about all the conversations we've had about um, how uh, the model we have as a, uh, our understanding of parishes, how defective it is and how it's not working. Well, and there's truth there. I'm not denying any, I wouldn't even probably denying that. I guess I kind of tweet about this today in a way, I think a parish is meant to be kind of a monastic place. Mm-hmm. But what's a monastery? Do you think monks? Trust me, I, I've heard confessions and religious orders and monks and stuff like this. <laughs> Every problem you have in your family, trust me, they happen in religious orders. You know, it's like it's just it's it's because it's human. It's human nature. 
But we need to be a place that communion is not mean. Perfect union. (laughs) Communion says, I can live with your weakness and your strength. I can live, essentially, I can accept the gift of who you are. Because through you, Christ makes himself present to me. And how you relate to me shows me that I'm a gift to you and to others, et cetera. Like this whole communion thing. Yeah. It's living, it, communion is living with strengths and weaknesses so that when people see us, they say like, how is it that you guys get along? Because you shouldn't. And maybe we don't get along all the time, but we love each other. Yeah. Right. And this is anyway. So it's just like, I know it's a little all over the place, but it's like, this is why a parish is so important for me now. And actually, I don't know if I would ever learn this without COVID. Like which punishments of God, which punishments of God are not also (laughs) gifts. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh man, you're stirring up lots of thoughts. Um, So I know the the priest who is replacing me. He's a good friend of mine. Occasional listener to the podcast. uh, Father Mm -hmm. Ben Barr, who occasionally yells at me. We live, we live each, with each other's weaknesses. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he, he will sometimes tell me how he is yelling at his car because he's like, Anthony, we learned that in seminary. How come you're not saying this? Which I, I respect and appreciate. But Ben and I, we are very different people. Yeah. Um, and when people are asking to describe him, like, it's tough because we are very, very different people. But he's one of my best friends throughout seminary. And we're still quite close. Um and if we weren't stuck with each other in seminary, I don't know if that would have happened. Um, yeah. And that kind of goes to show you like the power of, of um, community. So the priests, uh, thank you, Father Harrison. Um, the priest's role isn't necessarily to be the holiest. If he is, that's nice. And that's, that can be helpful. You know, I think every person any parish, like, would you like your priest to be the holiest person in the parish? I think most people would say yes, right? But more concretely and more realistically, um, and kind of in conjunction with that, the priest's role is to go first. Um, a priest's role is to go first. And what I mean by that in this context is that the priest needs to model this first, this living with other people's weaknesses. And I've seen it happen to a lot of priests. I've experienced it myself where all they do is talk about the difficult parishioners and they let it get to them. And so then when they have a, you know, a pastoral council meeting or make an announcement to the parish, they are, they end up, even if not in their tone or what they're saying, they end up kind of yelling at the parishioners. They make things personal. And the thing is like a good father understands when his kid is just acting out or doesn't know better. Not that the people of God are like little children, but the no. same thing in the sense that like you have to model this first. You have to have a thick <clears throat> skin. You have to be able to bring things to prayer so that you model first dealing with other people's weaknesses and also being comfortable with your own. Uh, one of the most damaging things that I ever experienced from priests were priests who refused to apologize when they were wrong, who doubled down, who put their foot down in the wrong spot and just kept it there and some of the most beautiful experiences i've had from priests are those who realize they screwed up and apologized and a lot of times priests can be very sensitive about their authority um either wanting their authority to be more powerful than it is like i set the vision and you follow that's leadership uh or whatever else and that's 
very dangerous and also spiritually abusive. Um, mm-hmm. But ironically, the priests who have messed up and then apologized, I would jump off a building for them. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I trust. Those are the ones I'm willing to give a second chance. Or even if I don't understand or agree with everything, I'm willing to follow them. And so the priest really needs to be father in that. Not perfect, yeah. not necessarily the holiest, but willing to model that kind of humility where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to let um, that one angry parishioner get to me. I'm not going to project that on everybody. I'm still willing to listen. I'm still willing to accept that there are times where I'm wrong. Um, that's what makes a good father. And that's what makes people more willing to trust your decisions, too. Because yeah. let's be honest, anybody in any kind of parish, they've had all kinds of priests. Like, most people know that priests aren't perfect, and they don't expect their priests to be perfect. You know, if you've been a Catholic for any amount of time, you realize that, like, priests are human beings, too. Um, uh, Yeah, there are crazy people on the internet who expect priests to be some unrealistic and ridiculous caricature of holiness. But most of the people of God who just show up at Sunday Mass have a more realistic view. So the sooner that the pastor... And the other priests realize that and grow a thicker skin and are able to be humble and model this first, the healthier a parish culture will be. The, he- the healthier a staff culture will be, too, in the parish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. Yeah. So, uh, we should probably end it here soon. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think one thing to talk about eventually, I think, because one of the things I wrestle with and I worry that perhaps sometimes I can get too lazy in my priesthood is the excess. Like, cause we know perhaps an, an older generation of priests, there is a strong workaholism. Yes. In the older generation. Right. And that's, I struggle with that because for me, I've, I've my encounters at least with that or what I've seen the effects of that is it's not often, I'm not saying all the case. I think there are some incredibly holy priests who, pour out their blood for their people because they love them. Yeah. But, and I think the reason I resist that sometimes is not because I'm not worried about shedding my blood, if you will, and, and, and spending myself for my people. It's, I've seen so often that that bending over backwards had nothing to, had nothing to do with loving, but came from like this place of like codependency and absolute neediness. Yeah. And I think that's something worth talking about on another episode and perhaps even maybe – do you know who I'd love to bring on one day to talk about all this stuff with and I think would be a great healthy antidote to us even sometimes? Father uh, Joe. Father Joe. <laughs> because I, I think he is a guy who spends himself for his people out of love and not that other stuff, right? Because I want to hear that stuff and I need to hear that because – I, I do think sometimes I can be a little – I actually know I can be selfish. But I guess, guess what, folks? Here's the other thing. Parents are very selfish in their first years of being parents too, right? Not, not, <laughs> not, let me rephrase that. By, I'm not trying to say like that's all. I'm just saying like it's that growth and charity of you have yeah. this constant demands placed on you and you have to learn to say yes to that. And that mm-hmm. doesn't happen right away. It grows over time. But I want to end with this from Pope Francis. I want to end with this from Pope Francis. He was a message to young priests on Monday. My fragility – The fragility of each one of us is a theological place of encounter with the Lord. The Superman priests end end up badly, all of them. The fragile priest who knows his weaknesses and talks about them with the Lord will be fine. Strip yourselves of preconceived ideas, your dreams of greatness, your self-affirmation to put God and and people at the center of your daily concerns. 
Um, and I just love that. I just Francis love that. So much. Is super underrated as a preacher. Yeah. As a side note. Um, but yes. Uh, sorry. That was a great note to end on. And I didn't have anything to add after that. But I was yes. going to say quickly that I think that phrase, your fragility is a place of a theological encounter. Mm hmm. Right. We've talked about this actually quite often on the podcast. And I think yeah. it's worth repeating. So I think, but your, our fragility as priests is not, it's, it's not just ours. It's also the people's. Your fragility, your sadness that your pastor's leaving, your, perhaps your bitterness that your bishop took him or moved him, maybe even your anger because maybe it was a bad move for whatever reason. It's a place of theological encounter with Jesus. Embrace it in the suffering and in the toughness that all is because that's how Jesus is going to draw you close to him. Cool. That was not where I expected it to go, but I'm very happy we went so there. Nick, if you um, did a whole uh, bumper uh, because you didn't listen to the rest of the episode first, I'm sorry because you could have just made this pres presbyteral exhortations. But uh, yeah, meh, it's on him. Yeah, we could tell him. Yeah, we could. So thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, please, uh, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review. Please tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus says you must love your enemies. You can email the podcast, clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Clerically Speaking, Twitter at ClericalPod. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me desperately trying to find a moving company who's open in the next two weeks and not booked already. You should have booked that a few weeks earlier. We've been working on it since I got my assignment. Thank you very much. That, quickly, that's one of the weird... You guys move a lot quicker. Like It's like assignment, you're gone in a month. Dude, the fact that we have a month is amazing. Normally, it's like two weeks, and I know priests who only got a week before. So That's insane I'm to me. I had, I, had, I had two and a half months, and my people had two and a half months. Yeah, no. Yeah, interesting. Anyways, we will see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>